You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Well, we might as well do a really quick uh, news and notes roundup before we dive into today's topic. First of all, around the NFL, didn't really talk at all about last week's games. Bears did go on to beat the Carolina Panthers, which helps and hurts them at the exact same time, which I guess is a positive. 49ers seem to have found their footing again as an, 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 as an NFC powerhouse. We'll see how long that lasts. The Vikings went on to beat the Saints. The more injuries they have, I think the better that they get, which again, I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but I'm happy about it. I think they are 100% moving on in a new direction. And if they are able to swing and a miss on a quarterback, that's fine. If they can pick it like 15, 16, 17, freaking dope. Not to say they can't maybe find a quarterback there, but I just, I don't, of all the years, this is the year especially, I do not want them to get a top pick. So they can go on winning a bunch of meaningless games. They are not good enough to compete with the top teams, so it doesn't matter. Whether they slip into the playoffs or not, they're headed for nothingness. Lions did go on to beat the Chargers, but there are now serious questions about their defense after giving up 38 points. They also gave up 38 to the Baltimore Ravens and 37 to the Seahawks, so they're very volatile. Right? They gave up 6 to the Falcons and 6 to the Bucks, which means they'll probably give up 6 to the Bears because it's usually right around those 38 games. 37 the week prior to the 6 against the Falcons, 38 after the 6 to Tampa Bay, so they're bound to hold Chicago to 6 points here. But I think that's kind of the biggest thing. And from our standpoint, it's like, whatever, freaking Crimea River, you're going to go to the playoffs, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're the Lions, the playoffs are basically a certainty at this point. I mean, nobody in the NFC can figure anything out. I mean, the Vikings are on a little bit of a run, but I, I don't think that they're really competition for the Lions, if I'm being honest. And so I think you kind of switch into a different mode of, are we a legit contender? And when you go up against the Chargers, who are not really a legit contender and nearly lose that game with your defense giving up 38 points, I think you look at teams like the Eagles, like the 49ers, like the Cowboys, like the Chiefs and the, the, the Ravens, and you just say, I don't think we can beat them. I mean, granted, you lost 38-6 to the Ravens, so that's not great. Also, 37-31 to the Seahawks. I think we went over this already. Pretty much every team that they beat is a pile of dog crap. 
including the Packers. Uh, the only team that doesn't count was the, the Chiefs, but they were absolute dog crap in that game. So I think from our standpoint, it's like, wow, you almost lost. We'll freaking cry me a river. But I think genuinely from their standpoint, it is a concern. They got the Bears coming up. I hate to say it, but I'm kind of rooting for the Bears. I'd love for the Lions to be taken down a peg and the Bears losing more draft position would be fantastic. That's followed up by another Packers game, which is, of course, on Thanksgiving. Don't have super high hopes, but you, you get the point. But I guess their head coach, Dan Campbell, has been talking about it, about some of the problems that they're having on defense. He says there's a lack of communication in some areas. We weren't really clean. We really have got to uh, get to where, even if it's a wrong call, it's right if we're all on the same page. And that's kind of what I talked about last night a little bit on packing that after dark in terms of sometimes you get a wrong call, you need somebody to make a play or whatever. You can kind of make a bad thing a good thing, but you just have to overcome some stuff, which I think is a lame thing for a coach to say, because it's like, hey, I don't want to hear it. I I suck at my job. Fine. Fix it. (laughs) Cover for me. I mean, he's kind of right, but it's kind of a weird thing coming from him. There were a couple of things, uh, a couple of these things with the motions, how we're treating the motion entirely because of the nature of it. There's just a few things where, man, we need to make a call and live by the call and not try to live in two worlds. Another significant issue Campbell highlighted was the pass rushes inconsistency. We've got to really hone in our technique uh, with where we're at, Campbell said. We've got a lot of things that are schemed up that we can be better at, the execution of it. We had a number of different pressures and games uh, that we had lined up in the second down, third down that we were just getting there. We weren't getting there fast enough. So that makes me happy. The three things that were highlighted essentially are communication, inconsistent pass rush, and a lack of synchronization between pass rush and coverage. I'm sure some of this applies to the Packers, but again, I haven't really talked a lot about the NFC North since we've had our own infighting and problems going on over here, and I thought it would be nice to kind of start off with, uh, (laughs) suck it. Uh, Speaking of the Detroit Lions, apparently James Houston, guy that they lost early on, uh, is a little bit of an update on him, and it doesn't sound like he's going to be back until late in the season, if at all. So that's sort of a negative for a defense that could use a little bit of a boost. Speaking of injuries, kind of a lot going on with the Minnesota Vikings. Um, From the negative side of things, Jordan Hicks was officially placed on IR. So there's another loss. However, um, some of the more positive, potentially positive things for the Vikings, Justin Jefferson is fighting back, trying to come back. I didn't think he would be back this early. I kind of just wrote him off for the season, honestly. But he could return as early as this Sunday. Obviously, that would be a big boost for the Vikings, which, uh, again, with or without, I just don't think they're a team that's really ready to compete, especially without a quarterback. But who knows? We'll see how it goes. Also, veteran quarterback Nick Mullins, although I don't think he'll be playing, uh, looks like he'll be also returning. So we'll see how that gets handled. I don't know. I don't know how this works now. If, if the Vikings are getting healthy, does that mean they're going to start losing? Or I'm not really sure. I just know as long as they were getting hurt. Uh, They just kept getting better. And then, uh, staying on the injury front, but shifting over to the Chicago Bears, Justin Fields may be starting this week against the Lions. Honestly, I kind of want to see it. Bears just haven't been as fun to watch without uh, Justin Fields, not only because he's kind of fun to watch, but I just miss making fun of him. And um, somebody had made the point, I don't remember exactly who it was, but I think it was when we were doing um, Packernet Derailed, but they were kind of talking about how it's better for the Bears if he doesn't play because it, it hurts Justin Fields' draft stock when he plays, <laughs> but he needs to play. But head coach Matt Eberflus says, our plan is to start him on Sunday. He continues to progress this week. Returning to practice today is going to be a big part of that evaluation. So we'll see. I don't know if he's going to play or not. I don't think anybody, his coach, knows what he's even talking about anymore. He's losing his brains. The whole team is just kind of a joke, but we'll just assume he plays because it's more fun that way. 
As for the Green Bay Packers, the injury report, uh, Kenny Clark is limited with a shoulder injury. Elton Jenkins limited with a knee injury. Aaron Jones limited with a hamstring. Um, Quay Walker limited groin injury. Christian Watson limited shoulder injury. And Rudy Ford did not participate with a bicep injury. Neither did Jair Alexander with his now shoulder injury, which was a back injury. Now he has a shoulder injury and is not practicing, so whatever. On the Chargers side of things, though, they also have a ton of injuries. Um, Keenan Allen didn't participate with a shoulder injury. Gerald Everett did not participate with a back injury. Sebastian Joseph Day, the defensive tackle, didn't participate with a knee injury. And Donald Parham did not participate. He has a hip injury. He's their tight end. Khalil Mack didn't participate, but he's just on veteran rest. So both teams battling through some stuff. It's looking like we're going to get the Valentine-Ballantine combo again. And if we don't have Rudy Ford, then there's going to be more Owens. So we get just the, well, I don't want to be mean about it, but we we get the, uh, well, we get the same package as last week. We'll leave it at that. On the positive side, for most fans, Aaron Jones has a hamstring injury. Christian Watson has a shoulder injury. So if those guys don't play, everybody gets their wish, at least for this week until A.J. Dillon sucks. And then it'll be, man, I miss Aaron Jones. He's the heart and soul of this team or whatever. I don't know however that works. I don't know. I think the the biggest sort of unfortunate aspect of this is that I, I don't think, and maybe I'm alone in this, but I don't think we're looking at young guys stepping into any particular position that's available with these injuries. Valentine is fine. I don't have an issue with Valentine. And it's possible he becomes some kind of a great starting corner. But I don't think that's really in the cards. And that goes doubly for Valentine. So it's not a matter of like, well, we get to see the young guy step up and see if he can actually be the guy. He's not going to be the guy. I mean, maybe, but he's not going to be the guy. Same with Jonathan Owens or Anthony Johnson or whoever goes into that spot. I mean, I don't even think Rudy Ford is the guy. I like Rudy Ford. But do you think... We're not going to try to find an upgrade if, if it comes to that. Of course we are. Same goes for running back. There's no, you know, young th- rookie third round guy that hasn't been getting a crack because Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon are there and we get to see if he... That, that doesn't exist. Not really. You could say with Christian Watson, but there's no real Christian Watson replacement on our roster. There might be more Wicks, which a lot of people will like to see, and that's fine. I, I, I also tend to think Wicks is not going to be a premier receiver. He may end up being a starter for for several years, but Wicks is not Watson. We don't have a guy that does what Watson does on this team um, waiting in the wings to see if he could potentially take that spot. That's not a thing. With Quay Walker's injury, you know, I like McDuffie, but we're not waiting to find like the Devondre Campbell replacement. I mean, maybe we found out we don't need to rush into finding somebody because we have McDuffie. That's cool. Same with the offensive line. Like we, we, we have a decent number of starters that I like. I don't know that we have a lot of young guys waiting. That's part of the issue, I guess, with having a young team. It's not like an old team with a bunch of young guys waiting to take their spot. It's not like Rashawn Gary behind Preston and um, Rashawn. Preston and Zadarius. uh, Jeez. Like the Joker saying, why so serious? I mean, those guys would be who? Well, we have Lucas Van Ness, but none of our edge guys are hurt. We have Jaden Reed, but he's our starting slot guy, so he's not waiting behind anyone. We have Tucker Craft, but I mean, I don't know that he's going to get a much bigger role, and he's behind Luke Musgrave, who is already the starting number one tight end on the team. Like everybody that we have that we want to see is basically a starter. I mean, if Kenny doesn't play, then we got maybe a little bit more Brooks and Wooden, but I think Kenny's going to play, and it's not going to be much more Brooks and Wooden. So it's really just injury for the sake of injury. 
It doesn't help anything except make it harder for us to win. Jair getting another injury doesn't help a single thing. Not that injuries generally are supposed to, but you know, trying to find some level of positive, there isn't. It's just, oh good, another injury. Something else to worry about for him long term. You know, more, more time for Jair to not be on the field. Like, it's just, it's not a good thing. So, it just is what it is, I guess. I don't know. I, I can't really find too many positive spins to put on this. It's just lots of injuries. I guess uh, for a team that generally is quite healthy, I know that isn't the narrative. Everybody thinks that this is a very unhealthy team. They're not. They're one of the healthier teams over the last, let's call it, five years. If we're going to get bit by the bug, let it be this year. That's the only positive I can take away from this. But I'll tell you what, why don't we take our first break? We'll come back and try to take a look at some of the um, long-term prospectus, long-term, long-term, I don't know. I can't think of words today. We're going to take a... uh, a look at where the Packers are at and where they could be headed, both in the negative, that is the draft, as well as the positive on the other side of the break. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right. A company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. So as of right now, the Green Bay Packers are sitting at pick number six. The order is, as far as I know, Chicago Bears via the Carolina Panthers with the number one pick, thanks to the stupid Cardinals winning. Then it's the Giants, the uh, Patriots, the Cardinals, then the Bears again at five, and then the Packers at six. 
The other sort of unfortunate thing is they have a relatively early pick. In fact, they have the earliest pick at three and six. So they could lose another game and not really move up very much. Even if Arizona, New England, or the Giants end up winning, we would just end up having, well, we would be three and seven and they would end up being three and eight. And so we wouldn't move up at all. So it would take quite a bit of losing and some winning from some of these other teams in order for us to actually crack into that top five. But again, remember, it was the Chicago Bears that had had three wins at this point last year, I think actually quite a bit earlier than this point last year, and they ended up winning no other games and did get the number one pick. Now, that's true for the Tennessee Titans, the LA Rams, the Chicago Bears, and doubly true for the Cardinals, Patriots, Giants, and Carolina Panthers slash Bears. As far as the current order, as far as the the ranking of the draft prospect, number one right now is Marvin Harrison Jr., the wide receiver. For a long time, it was Caleb Williams, and it wasn't close. After that, it was like Drake May and then probably Marvin Harrison. Marvin Harrison has shot up to the top, and I think that has more to do with the quarterbacks than Marvin Harrison. Caleb not only dropped from one below one, but he dropped below two. Drake May has now taken his spot as the number one quarterback and the number two prospect in this draft, which puts Caleb Williams at three, which to be completely honest, if you're a big Caleb Williams fan, this is probably the best possible news. Now I know, no, again, I don't know, however you feel about Jordan, whatever. But if you're really like a diehard, I don't care about some of these supposed bad games. He is an elite prospect, whatever, whatever. It it became something other than impossible that we would get Caleb Williams if we didn't have the first pick. Still, more than likely, Marvin Harrison, Drake May, and Caleb Williams will be out of the question. I also do not think they will take tight end Brock Bowers. I tend to think it's unlikely we go with another edge rusher, although it's not impossible because it is a premium position. But, you know, if you look at it, even if you're saying Preston is going to be gone soon, you know, you've got Lucas Van Ness, Rashawn Gary, and then you would have another edge rusher. And there are some options. There, There is right now the top guy... Um, is Dallas Turner, edge rusher out of Alabama. After that is Latu out of UCLA, and then Jared Verse, who has fallen quite a bit out of Florida State, which is a little bit surprising. But um, there are about three prospects, I'll say, that are potential top 10. Obviously, there's more, but right now, that's kind of who's in that range. But again, I don't think that's massively, I don't think that's most likely. What I do think is likely is number one offensive tackle. And we've talked about this before. But you got Fashanu, who just feels very much like a Green Bay Packers pick. He is a pure left tackle pass blocker who isn't the greatest run blocker in the world, but he is an absolute technician when it comes to pass blocking. That at least is his is how he's described. And that seems exactly like what the Packers like. Now, they like versatility as well, but I, I think that is sort of a slam dunk. I think what most Packer fans like, at least in terms of tackles, is Joe Alt Alt out of Notre Dame, because Joe Alt is a massive, hulking, monstrous human being who is not only a good pass blocker, but is a mauling run blocker. And I think most Green Bay Packers fans look at that and just say, give me a freaking monster that can pass block and run block and dominate people, and it sounds awesome. But I do think, if if, if you told me 100% it's either Joe Alt or Fashanu, I would have it probably 75-25 in my mind that it's Fashanu. And part of that is Fashanu is currently sitting at the number four overall prospect. Joe Alt is number eight. But that's even less so than the fact that anytime in my heart I feel like I want somebody, I know the Packers are going the other direction and I'm being pulled. Like it's it's sort of like, you know, when, when your parents lay out your dinner for you or whatever, and it's like, okay, here's here's like some stuff that's like decent. 
you know, it's fine. But then there's also like cake and it's like, I'm going to sit here and be responsible and like, "Mm, this is nice dinner. Thank you so much for the wonderful piece of food here. All the while just being like, dude, I want that cake. Just give me the cake. It feels like Joe Alt is the cake. It shouldn't because honestly, it's not irresponsible. There's nothing wrong with taking Joe Alt saying I would like somebody to be good at two things instead of one. But it, it just does feel like Fashanu is the better tackle. He is better at or is more of a slam dunk in the one area that is absolutely critical. And so that's probably the direction that, you know, the team will go. In a similar vein, which I'm kind of excited about, because depending on where we're picking, this is a very likely option. I think it checks a lot of boxes, including a at least semi-premium position, and that is defensive lineman Jerzon Newton. First of all, I have, in the last year or two, fallen in love with every defensive player out of Illinois. I don't know what they're doing out there, but everybody, I think last year there were like three corners. I, I'm pretty sure I liked all three. Or No, it was uh, DBs. There were four or five of them, and three of them were like my favorite DB. I just, I thought they were fantastic. I haven't done a deep dive on Jerzon Newton, and I borderline don't want to because I like him, and I don't want to find a reason not to. But I call it a semi-premium position because obviously we want some help on that defensive line, especially in terms of run defense. But the sales pitch is you got to be able to rush the passer from the interior. The, the, the point is, though, you get a guy like Jerzon Newton with the expectation that he can do both. You don't draft a guy this high unless he's a pass rusher. But you get the extra added bonus of the fact that he is just a do-everything guy on the interior. And having a dominant defensive front is obviously a very important piece. It is It is the trenches. It's very important. It may not be as important, at least to some people, as the edge guys, but in my mind, it still is a premium position. So this is sort of the intersection between, it feels kind of like a Brian Gutekunst thing, kind of, but also a little bit a me thing. And, and, and the only, one of the only other areas was Devontae Wyatt. And the, the other area was, um, Zach Tom. So again, kind of the trenches. So that's something to keep an eye on. He's currently sitting at 12th, but I again, I don't think it's impossible. If the Packers are picking at nine or something like that, which feels about right-ish, I think he's kind of in that range, especially if the tackles are off the table, which I think it's very possible that they are. Um, JC Latham is there, but he's sitting at 15. That may not exactly be the best possible thing. I don't know. Outside of that is wide receiver, and I know everybody's saying that's not going to be a thing. The Packers would never in the top 10. I don't think that's true. I think the Packers absolutely would. Um, I think the potential hesitation is, number one, I don't think they necessarily see it as a premium position. I think it's sort of a semi-premium position, maybe along the lines of defensive line. I don't know. But if you have tackle or wide receiver sort of on a similar tier, I think they go tackle. And honestly... As much as I think fans would massively disagree, I think if you put a premier defensive lineman and a premier wide receiver out there, I would be tempted to say Brian Gutekunst would go defensive line. Now, you know, I, I guess define premier and all that stuff, but j- let's just say they're graded out exactly the same. I would, I would borderline say he'd go defensive line. Just feels like what the Packers have done for a while, but I don't think it's impossible. And right now, um, outside of, again, Marvin Harrison, who I do think is kind of out of that range. And Brock Bowers is there also, but again, he's a tight end and I don't think the Packers go that route. As of right now, at least in terms of the NFL mock draft database, which is aggregates whatever the webs the websites across the interwebs say to give a general consensus. Keon Coleman is the guy that's kind of staring us in the face. He right now I I tend to think is sort of the consensus number two. Now there is no real consensus, obviously. There everybody has different opinions, but 
as far as I can see, he's sort of the consensus. And the the other really positive thing is he kind of fits the Brian Gutekunst mold. He's six foot four, two fifteen. I don't think he's expected to have blazing speed, but I think he's a really good complement to what you have with Christian Watson. If you're looking for that true X, that true let's call it the uh, Mike Williams, especially since there's a lot of concern from a lot of fans about guys that can just go up and get it. Big, physical, my ball type of guys. I think Keon Coleman fits that mold. He's a basketball guy, so you got the whole boxing people out, tight end mentality. After that is Malik Neighbors, wide receiver out of LSU. He's currently sitting at 13, which again, I think is going to be roughly in the range. He's more of a generic six foot one ninety five. Um, so unless he runs like a four three something, which I don't think he will, there, there's no real box checking in terms of like Gutekunst is going to love this guy. So it's it's kind of scary because he could be one of those guys that's just a great receiver, you know, like a Justin Jefferson type. And you kind of worry like, man, I hope the Packers just see the film and love it because it's it's just not something that's going to jump out. And then the other two potential, even though they're a little bit further down right now, but I'll, I'll list them anyways, would be Roma Dunze and Emeka Buka, two names that do not necessarily roll off the tongue. But uh, Adunze is, he reminds me a little bit of, what the heck is the guy's name from last year? I mean, just in terms of build and whatnot. Uh, Quentin Johnson. I don't know why. Maybe it's because their jerseys kind of look similar. But six foot three, two eleven. Again, we'll see about the speed. I think he's got decent enough speed, but I think he's got that sort of bigger build that I do think Brian Gutekunst is going to like. And then Ebuka, Ebuka, however you say it, is um, the counterpart to Marvin Harrison. Six foot one, 205, probably one of the faster of the guys that we've talked about, but more than likely going to be a little bit like um, Malik Neighbors in terms of it's just a tape thing. He's not six foot five. He's not a four three two guy. He's just a good football player. But again, we're talking probably five wide receivers that are potential. And that in and of itself, I think, is part of the reason why wide receiver is more likely than unlikely. I shouldn't say as in we're going to get them, but in terms of should you count it out, no. Because I think there are quite a few guys that could potentially fit the mold as late top 10 picks. And then the final would be, uh, let's call it DB or cornerback with Kool-Aid McKinstry just sitting right there. Um, Cornerback is such a weird position. With Razul being out of the loop now, it makes it feel a little bit more real that that could be an option. But then again, you've got Jair, you've got Stokes. And again, Stokes is a first round pick. I think a big part of the reason Razul is out is because we know that Stokes is going to be the guy. We invested a first round pick in him. It is what it is. So you get McKinstry, what is his role? Unless you're going to put him in the slot, but do you invest in and an early first round pick in a slot corner or is Jair going to the slot or whatever, you know, same old conversations as before. I think that part makes it complicated, but it doesn't really matter if it's complicated. It is a premium position. It's a very important position to um, Brian Gutekunst, obviously. And um, I think we've seen bad corner play in Green Bay quite a bit. I think we've got some more bad corner play probably coming up. No offense to Valentine Ballantyne, but it's, it's a tough league. And they're gonna they're gonna see some struggles this year, and so I think the call for corner is gonna be there, and and the uh, the need for corner is gonna be put at the front of Brian Gutekunst's mind by the end of this year. And then the other guy is Cooper DeGene. Kind of some debate about what his exact position is, but you know whether he's a corner, which again there is potential for, or a safety, which maybe is less likely based on being top ten, but more likely based on need. I think the fact that it's versatility that he could do either. Um, the fact of his skill set and everything else, I think you could also put him 
in the category of a real candidate. Not maybe the most likely, but a real candidate. So, I mean, if you were to ask me to kind of rank him, um, Fashan, who's probably at the top, although he may very well be gone, depending on where we're picking. After that, probably Alt. And then it gets real dicey after that. I mean, I, 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 I borderline would say Jerzon Newton, although that feels wrong, but I can't think who else would make more sense. You're kind of getting into like Newton, then maybe Coleman. I'm sure Latham kind of comes in early, the tackle out of Alabama. And then at some point, we have to seriously entertain potentially another edge rusher, because if there are premier edge rushers that they see as, as you know, top five talents that fall at eight or nine or 10 or wherever the Packers are, it's, it is entirely possible that they swing at another one as much as you may not want to hear that. All right, so that is the draft side of things. On the other side of things is what happens if the Green Bay Packers actually turn that around? Is it a thing? Could it potentially be a thing? So I looked into it a little bit, wanted to see if there were any teams that kind of started off the same way the Packers did and went on to have some success. And the answer is yes. So let's start with the long time ago and uh, pick it up from there. 1970 Cincinnati Bengals. Um, they were actually one and six through the first seven weeks and then won seven in a row. So they did end up three and six. That was the start of their winning streak. But they won seven in a row, beating the Bills, Browns, Steelers, Saints, Chargers, Oilers, and Patriots. Then they got into the playoffs and got beat by the Baltimore Colts 17-0 to zero in unbelievably embarrassing fashion. In 1994, the New England Patriots under Bill Belichick, just kidding, Bill Parcells, <laughs> um, they started the season at three and six, and then also the very next year started their win streak. They beat the Vikings, the Chargers, the Colts, the Jets, the Colts, the Bills, and then the Bears, ended the season 10 and six, got into the playoffs and got beat 20 to 13 by the Cleveland Browns. The next year in 1995, the Detroit Lions, believe it or not, under Wayne Fontes, Fontes, I don't even know how you say his name, they got to three and six and then started their win streak. There's a common theme here, and that is you have to go on a massive win streak. <laughs> but they beat the Bucks, the Bears, the Vikings, the Bears, the Oilers, the Jaguars, and the Buccaneers, got into the playoffs at 10 and six, and got beat 58 to 37 against the Philadelphia Eagles in the playoffs. The very next year in 1996, the Tom Coughlin uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. I always loved looking at the coaching trees and stuff back then, just to see like guys that were assistants. And it's like, oh, no kidding. But uh, Kevin Gilbride was the offensive coordinator. Dick Duran was the defensive coordinator. Remember that guy? Pete Carmichael was the wide receivers coach. Anyways, Coughlin was also the general manager. But they were thir uh, three and six and actually continued their win-loss stuff all the way to four and seven. But then went on there, so they won the next week, lost the next week, and then went on their win streak. They beat the Ravens, the Bengals, the Oilers, that's a common theme with the Oilers here, the Seahawks and the Falcons, got into the playoffs and actually did have some success. They got in at 9-7. and seven. They, in the wild card round, played the Buffalo Bills, beat them 30-27, to 27, went to the divisional round against the Denver Broncos on the road, beat them 30-27, to 27, then went to the conference championship against the New England Patriots and lost 20-6. to six. Uh, fast forward quite a bit. It was a huge gap. Uh, 2012, the Washington Redskins under Mike Shanahan. Interestingly enough, yes, this is the Matt LaFleur Washington Redskins. You had Kyle Shanahan as the um, offensive coordinator. Jim Hazlitt was the defensive coordinator. Matt LaFleur was the quarterback coach. Mike McDaniel, the offensive assistant. Sean McVay, the tight ends coach. Raheem Morris was the secondary coach. Quite a unit. Um, they were three and six. 
went into their bye week, came out of their bye week, and beat the Eagles, the Cowboys, the Giants, the Ravens, the Browns, the Eagles, and the Cowboys, finished the season at 10-6, and six, got into the playoffs, and lost 24-14. to 14. See if Matt LaFleur can recapture some of that 2012 magic. 2014 Carolina Panthers under Ron Rivera. Mike Shula, offensive coordinator, Sean McDermott, defensive coordinator. Ken Dorsey was the quarterback's coach. Steve Wilkes, defensive backs. They actually were 3-6-1, lost to the Falcons, went 3-7-1, came out of their bye week, lost to the Vikings, went 3-8-1, didn't hit their stride until week 14, beat the Saints, the Bucks, the Browns, and the Falcons, were 7-8-1 and, and snuck into the playoff, then went on to beat the Arizona Cardinals 27-16 in the wild card, and then in the divisional round against the Seattle Seahawks, lost 31-17. Fast forward to 2021. And this is the one that maybe seems the most promising, not necessarily because of what happened that year, but what came after. The 2021 Philadelphia Eagles, a team under Nick Sirianni. They were 3-6 and under similar circumstances. They won big in their first week against the Atlanta Falcons, 32-6, similar to how the Packers manhandled the Chicago Bears. Went on a three-game losing streak, snuck one out against the Panthers, similar to how we did against the Saints. Lost again, then beat the Lions, and then lost to the Chargers similar to how we beat the Rams and then lost to the Steelers to bring us to 3-6. and six. Then they beat the Broncos, beat the Saints, lost to the Giants, beat the Jets, beat Washington, beat the Giants, beat Washington again, and then their last game, they lost to Dallas to end at 9-8. and eight. They went to the playoffs, played the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the wildcard round, and got smoked 31-15. to 15. Again, the promising thing here isn't, hey, they went to the playoffs, who knows, maybe, you know, we can do it. The promising thing is, that team went on to be the 2022 14-3 Philadelphia Eagles who went to the Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I know that seems stupid because it's like, well, how could that happen to the Packers? Remember, 2021 Philadelphia Eagles, they were the 11th best team via PFF, not exactly elite. Jalen Hurts, he did have a 77 overall grade, but most of that was his rushing grade. He had a 69 passing grade. Jordan Love right now has a 68.7 passing grade, almost identical. Hertz took a jump from a 69 passing grade up to an 84 passing grade the next year. He went from 17 touchdowns and 11 interceptions, 25 big-time throws, 23 turnover-worthy plays, to 25 touchdowns and 6 interceptions, 26 big-time throws, and just 12 turnover-worthy plays. You say, yeah, but they have more talent. Right, but who did they have in 2021 is the question. Do you know who their number one receiver was? It's not A.J. Brown, it was Devontae Smith. And Devontae Smith was a rookie. They also had Dallas Goddard, who was pretty young at the time, as a tight end. After Devontae Smith, they had Quez Watkins and Jalen Rager as their wide receivers. It wasn't until 2022 when they went out and added A.J. Brown, and that changed everything. Now, obviously, it doesn't have to follow that track. I'm just saying. If you want something to be excited about, there you go. Their quarterback took a big jump. They went out and got the addition of a really solid receiver to add to the other guys who were quality. I don't think we have quite the offensive line they have, but it's still a very good offensive line. The question then just simply becomes defense, but uh, you know, 2021, who were their best defensive players? Fletcher Cox was over the hill. Hargrave, I mean, those are the top two interior guys. They graded in the 60s in 2021. They had Derek Barnett and Josh Sweat as their edge rushers, graded as 60 and 70. That's at best Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. At linebacker, they had Alex Singleton, who had a 54 grade and T.J. Edwards with a 75 grade, who is now in Chicago. At corner, Darius Slade did grade out very well. They're they're actually number one corner, 
was Steven Nelson, who had a 63 grade, so that's one good corner out of two. The other was Avanti Maddox, who had a 73 coverage grade. It's their slot guy. And then at safety, Anthony Harris had a 61 PFF grade, and Rodney uh, McLeod, 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 whatever, I don't know, 64 PFF grade. I mean, they didn't have elite players on their defense. Highest graded guy on their entire defense was Darius Slay with an 81. He was the only one with an 80 grade. There were only six players with a 70 grade. One of them only played seven snaps, so really there were five with a 70 PFF grade. This isn't like an elite defense. It became that in 2022 when they had 12 guys with a 70 or higher grade. They had five with an 80 or higher grade, and Brandon Graham off the edge had basically a 90 PFF grade. So, I mean, things change, man. You never know. And again, I'm not sitting here trying to convince you that that's going to happen in Green Bay. It's very, more than likely it's not. But it doesn't have to be a five-year rebuild. The Eagles, the year before they went to the Super Bowl, were sitting at three and six after losing their last game to the Chargers, just like we lost to the Steelers. They went five and two the rest of the way, barely snuck into the playoffs as frauds, and got embarrassed 31 to 15 by the Buccaneers. They were kind of a joke. 2022, they go to the Super Bowl. Anyway, speaking of 2022, it happened again, this time with the Doug Peterson Jacksonville Jaguar. They started off the season 2-1 and one and then went on to lose their next five games to go to 2-6. and six. They beat the Raiders, bringing them to 3-6. and six. They lost to the Chiefs, beat the Ravens, lost to the Lions, going 4-8, and eight, and then won their last five games in a row, beating the Titans, the Cowboys, the Jets, the Texans, and the Titans. They ended 9-8, and eight, did get into the playoffs, beat the Chargers barely, 31-30 in the wild card, and then came into contact with a freight train that is the Kansas City Chiefs and got beat 27-20. Now, I don't know if you want to put the Jacksonville Jaguars necessarily in powerhouse status, but they are sitting at 6-3 and three and are, are more or less a lock for the playoffs. Yes, they got absolutely embarrassed against the San Francisco 49ers. That's absolutely true. But prior to that, they had won five games in a row. And so, as I had recently mentioned, I don't know if it was today or yesterday or what, uh, last night, but, you know, another I think it was packing out after dark last night. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is... A couple different things. Number one, when you look at point differential, they're almost dead even, which is to say this is close closer to a 500 team than what the record would indicate. Number two is one score games. The Packers have lost almost all of them. I think it was uh, Trucker Bob that mentioned it, um, that I think we're one and four in one score games. And typically one score games are seen as kind of just coin flips. And so if you typically lose, like if you end the season, let's say, you know, two and eight in one score game, you expect that team to get better the next year because that's a fluke. Just like if you're eight and two in one score games, like the Vikings, you say that's a fluke and they're going to be worse next year. So just a couple things to kind of maybe perk some people up. Um, obviously, there's no guarantee the Packers are going to win any more games, much less go on a run and get into the playoffs or whatever. But, you know, it has happened. And generally, when it did happen, it, it meant positive results for the next year, up to and including um, going to the Super Bowl the next year and then being considered sort of the uh, conference powerhouse stuff. You know, life comes at you fast. But anyways, why don't we take our final break? We'll come back and let's rip through a couple calls because I, uh, we got a lot of them and I want to make sure that we get through as many as we possibly can before the next game. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Hey, 
Hey, Ryan, Trevor, Virginia. Sorry if you had any blank calls for me. Yeah, that's all right. Not working right. Um, I guess I'm just surprised by how angry everybody seems to be after this game. Um, I mean, I know there's still a long way to go, but I just I saw improvement in this game. It was kind of like you said too. Like this is a young team with growing pains. That's kind of the first time I feel like that's what we've actually seen. Um, I I still love Lafleur as a coach. I, I. Think he's been doing a great stupid thing. Feels the need to refresh when I'm trying to do other stuff. Let me get back to that. A great job. I, aside from maybe getting you know the guys hyped or whatever, but from like a play calling, getting guys in a position to succeed. I mean, yeah. I think he's doing a great job. Defense obviously still lacking. Um, I don't know. It just seems like everybody wants to keep moving the goalpost. You know, on what the issue is this week, and yes, there's going to be different issues every week. And then, right, and I don't mind like pointing out like this was an issue. What I don't like is just the wild swings of like, okay, this is 100% what's going to fix everything and we need to get it out there. And then we do it and it doesn't fix anything. It's like, okay, scrap that, except I'm not even going to acknowledge that I said it. I'm just going to pretend that everybody else, like Matt LaFleur is an idiot still, even though you know I've been saying a bunch of stuff that apparently I was wrong all year. But forget about that. We're not going to talk about that. He's an idiot. I'm a genius. Here's what we need to do now. We need Sean Ryan. Boom. That's it. That's going to fit. Like, come on, man. <laughs> like, Again, it, it, we can discuss maybe the, the pros and cons, the merits of possibly doing it. It would be ideal if once in a while people would throw out some of the negatives, which I don't think happens at all. Like, I would be interested in putting Sean Ryan out there, although I understand why that would be a negative. Go from there rather than saying you're an idiot for not putting Sean Ryan out there or Dontavian Wicks out there or I don't know which running back we love and hate now. It's that seems to be up in the air. Um, it's just it, nothing's measured. Everything's just so crazy. I just people want to lean on what didn't work last week. Oh, well, we should be doing that this week. Right. Exactly. Um, I saw that on social media today that Christian Watson has like the worst completion rate on attempts that like he's got 42 percent of tar- his targets and it's like that's not on him like the- well right that's that's like even if that stat is true um it still doesn't get us to the discussion point the discussion point is when christian watson's not catching passes is it watson's fault or is it um jordan love's fault now we know some of them are watson's fault because you can see it hit him in the hands and he drops it I think we should be able to acknowledge sometimes when it's Jordan Love's fault, although I feel like people in that camp sometimes refuse to concede any ground. But again, it doesn't really get to the point we're trying to get to, which is what is the issue with the connection between the two? Saying the connection's bad and here's proof. We know that. That isn't the question. What about recidivist catchable targets? Exactly. I think Christian Watson... I don't understand why he's getting so much grief. And again, I I already, I don't think I got the actual numbers, but I did look at it. It's not a good number. It's very low, catchable. And that again, that's not even accurate. We're not even to the point of saying inaccurate. In other words, it's technically catchable, but is a bullcrap pass anyways. We're talking just completely uncatchable. I think it was like 19 out of 27 were even catchable. So... Yeah, you're right. The, the 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 completion rate is low to Christian Watson, but why is the question? I mean, Jordan Love clearly has the chemistry building with some other receivers and not Watson for some reason. I don't yeah. know why. I, I hope they work that. And that happens. Again, it happened between MVS and Rodgers, and they never figured it out. I don't know why. 
It was very weird. They just couldn't get in sync. It's not necessarily that MVS sucks. It's not that Rodgers sucks because he had chemistry with other receivers, and I think MVS has had better chemistry with Patrick Mahomes, I think. I don't know. Um, it's just it's just a thing, man. I don't know. I don't know what it takes to kind of get in sync with the timing and everything. Wow, but it's not a Christian Watson problem currently the way I see it. Um, and I don't know. I mean, this, this is just like – I get emotional during the game, so I, so I don't call right after anymore. And right after the loss, you know, I'm all pissed off because we lost. But, you know, an hour after the game, when I think about it, it's like this this isn't the year. This isn't our year. It's right. not. You know, no matter if we won the game last week or not, I'm just even making the playoffs, we're not very good. So if we can see growth and lose a close one, um, to me that's kind of the best-case scenario because at this point we want that higher draft pick. But we don't want it at the expense of the team being terrible, kind of like you've laid out too. Like, if we can show growth, lose some close ones, you know, probably win a couple more, and have a better draft pick, I don't, I don't see a better situation for the Packers than that. And you know, I think we do need some new coaches. I mean, I think probably a defense coordinator. I don't know if we need a new offensive line coach. I, I don't know what lower level coaches. I don't know the weeds enough to know them. But I really hope we see some coach turnover this year. Um, and not like just the defensive coordinator or something, even offensively. I mean, I think we need a new quarterback coach. We brought in the guy, I forget his name now, because he was good with Rodgers. Well, Rodgers is gone. Um, let's get a new quarterback coach in there that's help love. But coming up on time, go back, go. Yeah, I mean, the bottom line, in my opinion, is that the status quo isn't acceptable. Um, if, if, if the... Let's say Mark Murphy from up on his tower looks down and says, this isn't good enough. Okay, what's the problem and how do we fix it? Under no circumstance do I look at this and say, we have the right GM and all the right coaches and all the right players. No, we don't. Because we sucked. The, the only way that happens is if you look at it and say, next year all these guys are going to take a big jump and everything's going to be fine. And, and you know we do get that Super Bowl run, in which case, great. And I hope that that's not the position that they're going to take. Maybe it is. I don't know. But I don't know how you look at this situation and say, yeah, that's fine. Either we don't have the right players, which falls on the GM, or we have the right players and we don't have the coaches that can put them in a position to succeed or some combination of both. The only other thing would be the young team argument. But even that I find completely lacking, especially when you look at the defense. If you want to say that for the offense, fine. I think next year, Jordan Love and Christian Watson and Jaden Reed and all these guys on top of the other pieces that we're going to add are going to be a great unit. You can't make that case to me for the defense. It's been many, many, many years. And for, for I mean, not just Joe Barry, but a lot of the players who are here before Joe Barry. What argument could you possibly make that they're just young and haven't figured it out yet? That's We're, we're past that. Tell me. I want Mark Murphy, not that he's actually going to do it. Tell me what's wrong with the defense. As soon as you tell me, I'm going to give you the answer. The players are not good enough. I guess we don't have a good enough GM. If, if the players are good enough, Joe Barry has to go, period. We cannot look at this and go, eh, maybe next year. That's not a solution to the problem. That just means I don't know what the problem is and I don't want to have to make a decision. That's garbage. That's cowardly garbage. There's a problem and it is your job to fix it. And I think that they will. And again, you know, from an offensive standpoint, you do have that cop out. You know, we're not going to give up on Jordan Love yet. All the receivers are very young. A lot of the offensive line is young, and, and a lot of these guys are going to be replaced. You know, it looks like John Runyon probably isn't the guy. We don't have a left tackle. Not sure about Myers. Maybe he's the guy. Maybe he's not. I don't know. 
all the tight ends are are rookies as far as the guys that let's be honest that matter. Sorry, Josiah, but let's just be freaking honest about the situation we're in. And all the receivers are first, second year guys. Fine, take a cop out year and add talent, please. Defense, there is no cop out. Explain Kenny Clark, Joe Barry, who's been there for as long as he's been there, Jair, Savage, Preston. These are not young or new. Devondre, these are not new young players. What's the issue? You're going to tell me they're bad? Devondre's a bad linebacker? Rashawn's a bad edge rusher? That's what we're going with? Jair's a bad corner? Okay, fine. Get rid of the GM then. Screw it. But I don't think that's the solution. So I agree. Something has to be done, and I think they will. I mean, again, 2018, we, we very much realized there was a problem. They came in with a freaking hacksaw and butchered this team and stitched her back together. And I expect um, something similar. And I think, again, I think we, we are starting to see that with the Rizul Douglas trade. Even if it wasn't planned, it still shows intent. What up, Brian? It's Corey from Ohio. So, I was listening to Action Packer Night After Dark here at work, and I hear a couple calls, and I just can't believe what I keep hearing. I'm with you on uh, the whole Jordan Love and Christian Watson play and the Jaden Reed play. Those aren't even in the same ballpark. Jaden yeah. Reed was open. He threw the ball over the shoulder. He had to slow down a little bit, but it was not even contested. It was a good throw, good catch. Yes, slightly underthrown, but still not contested. Christian Watson's throw, where he got picked off, was an absolute horrible throw. You can't expect your receiver to go up and be superhuman every single time you throw him the ball, like the catch he made last week. Guys are going to make plays. Guys aren't going to make plays. The point is... Well, and, and that's exactly right, and, and you made a point. Sometimes they do make those. But listen, the expectation from the fan base that they should do it all the time is nonsense. If you're going to throw bad passes, you have to expect that they're going to be caught at a much lower rate. That's the way it goes. If you're going to throw a ball that is a 30% catchable ball, don't expect it to be caught 80% of the time. If you want it to be caught 80% of the time, throw it accurately. Then all the drops will be on the receiver. The 20% that don't get caught, or whatever the rate is, 15%, I don't know what his drop rate is, that's on him. But if you're not going to throw it accurately, if you're going to burn these things down into the ground, if you're going to underthrow them or overthrow them, then I don't expect them to be caught at, at any kind of a high rate. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and be surprised that Christian Watson's catch rate is low when the balls are thrown where they're thrown. That's what I expect based on where the balls are located. A 50-50 ball, first off, if it's thrown by the quarterback with a 50% chance of getting intercepted, if it gets intercepted, that is totally on the quarterback. It's a 50-50 ball. He's taking that risk. But I don't even think half of Jordan Love's balls are 50-50 balls. I mean, that was more like a 30% chance, 70% chance something bad's going to happen, 30% chance... Maybe something good happens or he can get his hands on it or catch it. And a lot of his throws have been like that. And I see really good things out of Jordan Love lately. I mean, I've seen some great throws, but the problem is it's too inconsistent. We need whole games like that out of him. And he had a decent game, but 50% completion percentage and two picks is ugly. That last one, let's face it, he was just trying to force something in there. We had to go for the end zone, but... Man, I don't know. 
defense looked horrible again, and we're making slow progress. I just wish we could see a little bit more because I'm going to be mad if we end up winning two, three more games. You know, we end with six or seven wins, and then we're don't get a high draft pick, but also don't win anything and make the playoffs. That's the worst-case scenario. Hell, I'd rather either lose out or win out. Playoffs are high pick. Talk to you later. Go Pack Go. Yeah, and and I know I've said it a thousand times, but my my whole thing with Jordan Love is I, I thought he had a good day. I love that he's making progress. I love that we're going in the right direction. I am very annoyed that we're blaming the wide receiver for bad passes. That just annoys me because we expect wide receivers to do superhuman things. No, I don't. No, we're at the same time we're trying to get the receivers to run the right routes. We also expect them to be what Calvin Johnson. Come on, man. Uh, that's that's not where I'm setting the bar. That's not where I'm putting the bar. You're a bust if you don't bail out Jordan Love on his bad passes. Come on, man. Let's let's can we not do that? What up, Ryan Corey from Ohio again? I just you know talking about the passes to Watson and Reed and stuff. On the last phone call, just another thing I wanted to hit on. Everybody's calling Christian Watson a bust already. Well, and that's what's annoying me, too, is now you got Jordan Love out there defending Christian. And like I said, even the questions are loaded by the media. It's just like an assumed thing that Watson's a bust. Like, what happened? Like, that question to Brian Gutekunst baffles me, like a week ago or whatever. Like, basically questioning whether he regrets the pick or something to that effect. Like, are you out of your freaking mind? Like, what is wrong with you people? Like, we're not even going to discuss, like, is he regressing? Are you concerned? What are some things that are going wrong? Is it his fault or Jordan's fault? No, it's it's definitely Watson's fault. He's definitely a bust. And we go from there. Like, that, that, in what universe are you a journalist? Like, <laughs> that's not how this works. Like, I'm just, I, I know the answers to the questions, and we'll just go from there. No, that's not how that's supposed to work, actually. But, okay, great. Now, I'm not saying the dude's going to be awesome. He's going to be a great number one. I'm not saying he's a bust, though, either. Right. Devontae Adams is probably the best receiver we've had. Well, and, and, and that's, like, of all the people, and I don't think there are many, it's me and you and maybe two other people that are defending Christian Watson. How many people are saying Christian Watson's elite? Nobody. Nobody's even saying he's doing a good job. But throwing all the blame on him because we have to protect Jordan Love is freaking annoying. It's annoying. I'm sorry. I'm not blaming Christian Watson for bad passes. Period. I don't care. Well, he coulda, woulda. I don't give a crap. Throw it better. Throw it better. That's it. That's the end of the conversation. Throw it better. Any 50-50 ball where the defender and receiver get their hands on it, I'm not expecting you to to catch it. That's not an expectation. The only time I expect you to catch it is if it's an accurate, uncontested ball. Those I expect you to catch. Period. Now, yeah, I mean, if if it happens 10 times and you catch zero, that kind of sucks. But that's not a drop. Again, going back to the game where it's like, oh, there were nine drops in the game. No, there was not. There was three I think there were three drops in the whole game, but we're calling batted passes and underthrown balls and all this stuff. We're calling these freaking Christian Watson with two defenders and one defender punching the ball out from behind. We're calling that a drop. Like, this is this is ridiculous. 
since Sterling is sharp. And his first couple of years were rough. Drops, fumbles. I mean, he wasn't, he didn't just come out of college being that good. He blossomed into what he was. There's possibility Watson can do that too. I mean, we've seen a lot of tape this year. At times, Watson was open. Jordan Love didn't even find him or throw it to him. And we've seen a lot of times also where Watson shot past somebody and Love underthrew him and couldn't get him the ball. Or overthrew him. We've seen what Watson could do last year when him and Rodgers... Well, and that's that's another thing, too, where it's like, well, the guy can't get separation. Do you know how many times I've seen him not get separation because the ball's underthrown? I... I, no kidding he doesn't have separation because he's jogging. Because if he goes any faster, the ball's going to be behind him. He has to slow down to be where the ball is. What, what, never mind. Built a little chemistry and it started going. We've seen what he's capable of. The fact that somebody can't get him the ball doesn't make him a bust. Right. When somebody got him the ball last year, he did damn good. Right. And and that's the thing, like we... We know that Jordan's not throwing good passes. We've seen the overthrows. We've seen the underthrows. And again, what if every time he was open, an accurate ball went to him? Do we think his stats would be different? Do you think he'd have more yards or less yards? Do you think he'd have more or less touchdowns? Do you think we'd be having a conversation about him being a bust? Because if the answer is no, then we shouldn't be having the conversation. And it's just crazy because it's like the only reason we would have the conversation is if we don't think he's ever open. But that would only be if you haven't actually watched the football games. When you don't see him running wide open for a touchdown, but then he has to stop and wait for the ball, and then it ends up getting batted down because the ball should have been there three seconds ago. We don't see him streaking wide open down the field and the ball is overthrown or underthrown. And I don't know how you're watching football games and not seeing that because I'm seeing that. So my frustration is, dang it, We've got a guy that could be kind of tearing things up right now, and he's being held back by a quarterback that isn't getting the ball there to him. I would love to have Christian Watson burst back onto the scene with a bunch of yards and touchdowns and doing backflips in the end zone. And the reason he isn't isn't because Christian Watson can't run fast anymore. It's because Jordan Love isn't getting the ball to him accurately. But yet now Christian Watson's being thrown under the bus under the bus as a bust. And I have no idea why that's happening. None whatsoever. And it's just an assumed thing. Like, well, obviously he is. It's just a matter of like, do you think we can recover from this? Or should what should we just declare it a bust now? Like, you guys are out of your freaking mind, man. I don't know. I don't even know what to say. And he still could get even better. He came from a North Dakota State who barely threw the ball. They don't throw the ball much in high school. He's an athletic freak. He just needs to hone his craft. I think he could be good. But to be good... You got to have a decent quarterback throwing you the ball. How's Devontae Adams doing right now with Stidham and Aiden O'Connell throwing him the ball? He hasn't had a touchdown and since week three. Hasn't broke 100 yards. Does that mean Devontae just all of a sudden sucks? No, it means they're not getting him the ball because Love can't get watching the ball either. Give him time. He still could be good. Not saying he's going to be, but you can't call him a bust either. Okay, Greasy? Go, Pat, go. Yeah, and again, the, the drops are still a problem. No doubt. I mean, that's across the board. It's a bigger issue with Aaron Jones. It's also an issue with Romeo Dobbs, even though we pretend that it's not, and Musgrave and Reed. We've seen the drops. But again, my issue is if we just 
capitalized, maximized on all the potential that was there. We, we heard the coaches talk about this all the time with, with all the players, with the entire team. We're not maximizing our opportunities. I don't know that there's a bigger example of that than Christian Watson. Now, I'm not saying if you gave him the ball every time he was open, he'd be leading the league. He'd be. I'm not saying that at all. But we wouldn't be having the bust conversation. I guarantee you that. Anyways, guys, uh, I'm going to leave it at that. I was going to rip through. We got three calls from Omar, but we're at sitting at about an hour, so I don't really want to delve into that. But I appreciate all the calls. We got 20 left to get through, so if you got them, go ahead and get them in. And again, I will try to get through all of them if I can. Have a good uh, rest of your day. Talk to you tonight, tomorrow, whatever. Have a good one. Bye-bye.